you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off on math class, in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, is a couple days late, we're going to do Twitter, we'll call it Twitter Thursday this time. Usually we do Twitter Tuesday, so send me your questions about the Vikings or whatever, and uh, I will get to them on the show every Tuesday. Of course, I was traveling when I would have usually recorded that, so uh, I had to put it off to later in the week, and here we are. So it's Twitter Thursday, we're going to do a mailbag episode today. Uh, that means that we're answering your questions. If you have a question, submit them to me at Luke Braun NFL or at Locked on Vikings on Twitter. You can email them to at Locked to uh, Locked on Vikings podcast at gmail.com. There's a Google form in the show notes. You can come on Discord and ask in the Q&A channel as well. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways to ask questions, and I'm just going to start running through them here. The first one comes from Ryan, who says, we currently have four tackles projected to the start to start week one on the O-line. Who is a tackle to center convert the Vikings should trade for to make the dream of an all-tackle O-line a reality? Uh, so I think you could probably argue for Mason Cole here. Mason Cole played tackle at Michigan, and he moved to center in the middle of his career at Michigan, but he was a tackle. He was recruited as a tackle, and he was actually pretty new to center when he came to the NFL. So he is a tackle to center convert, and I think you could probably, like, it would probably work out there. I don't know where he's playing anymore. The only other guy I can think of is Ethan Posick, who was a center in college and played tackle for Seattle. I don't know if he's still there or not, uh, but maybe him is the only other guy that I know off the top of my head. Uh, Troy Johnson asks, watching Chaz Surratt in particular, he looks so much more like a strong safety. Since safety depth is a concern, do you think we are transitioning to a one true safety system at times and using these undersized hybrid linebackers instead? So we're definitely not transitioning to a one safety system. Chad Surratt is not going to replace Harrison Smith as the strong safety. And and the difference between strong safety and free safety is kind of blurred a lot in Zimmer defenses because of the way the safeties roll. Um, and that's not unique to Zimmer. That's a big Saban thing. A lot of these like pattern match defenses have safeties kind of both safeties have to do the job of a free safety and a strong safety, depending on the alignment and what that particular play call is. Um, so I don't think they're going to go to a one safety system. I don't think they're going to move Chaz Surratt to safety either. Um, I have advocated for that. I think that would be better for him because it would require less physicality. And while I'm on the subject, I actually went back to the Colts game and watched Chaz Surratt's game because I noticed PFF gave him a great PFF grade in the thirties. And I definitely see why they did that. Uh, the, he, it was the physicality thing again, it was particularly in run defense. Anytime he would, engage with an offensive lineman he could would pretty much reliably be moved back about five yards and when you have a guy on the field that allows that it makes it really easy to generate creases and advantages in the run game speaking of uh, another quick update uh the vikings actually made another release so they were at an even 80 men they didn't have to cut anybody else until the main cut down day on i think it's august 31st uh 
when they go down to 53, but they cut somebody else ahead of that in Evan Kazarzik. Evan Kazarzik no longer on the Vikings. They also uh, waived Riley Patterson with an injury settlement. He was waived injured before, so he that isn't part of the roster stuff. Um, but basically what that means is that Riley Patterson probably thinks that he'll be able to play sometime this season. And so instead of going on season ending IR, you actually hit free agency and then you get paid out a little bit, uh, depending on like how many games you thought you would have missed based on that injury. Um, so Riley Patterson won't be like on IR and then invited back to camp next year or anything like that unless they decide independently to invite him back to camp anyways. Um, but Riley Patterson isn't like going to be the kicker for the Vikings anyways. So that's all. uh kind of interesting of course Evan Kazarzik was kind of at the bottom of the depth chart he was actually playing ahead of Zach Bailey for a while until the first preseason game when Zach Bailey jumped him on the depth chart and kind of never looked back uh and now the Vikings are at 79 and they don't need to be at 79 so unless this is just like a reason to get different guys tackle reps and they also worked out an old tackle that was in Houston for a while named Roderick Johnson uh so maybe they're just replacing him with a different tackle maybe or maybe they're looking to uh, you know, swing a trade for somebody, pick up another kicker, pick up another quarterback, something like that, that we've kind of been advocating for as well. Maybe they'll do something like that or pick somebody up who's on the street now. We'll have to see what they do with that extra roster spot, but it would be odd to just cut a guy for no reason. I, I would imagine they've got a plan for what they want to do with that extra roster spot. Anyways, back to the mailbag. Tallbot6k is next. He says, if the Cowboys look to shop Vander Esch or Jalen Smith, could you see the Vikings making a play for one of them? Bar injury has been concerned. We don't have starting talent next to Kendricks. Um, so right now, the guy who's been taking snaps next to Kendricks in Bar's absence is Nick Vigil. Um, and Nick Vigil has started for plenty of teams. He's probably a low-end starter. Um, and I, I don't know if it's wise to start him, but I would call him like the bottom of a starting quality player or the top of a backup quality player, uh, especially the way he's played in uh, preseason has been pretty good. So I, I think and the depth of the linebacker room is, is really good too. Adam Zimmer actually talked about this if... Uh, Anthony Barr were to miss a few games, they would kind of utilize more sub packages. They would kind of utilize the weird skill sets of guys like Troy Dye. Uh, Blake Lynch is the one who's actually taking second team Sam linebacker rep. So in terms of like Barr's true backup right now is Blake Lynch. Uh, and, you know, then you have like Nick Vigil and Chaz Surratt and Troy Dye, although all those guys have been lining up in different linebacker alignments. They'll all have these different skill sets and they would kind of utilize those in certain sub packages and you'd kind of turn it into a rotation linebacker by committee type thing. Um, but also, look, if Anthony, let's say the Vikings are wrong, they, they're targeting week one. Let's say they miss on that by twice as much, right? So they said they're targeting week one. I think we were about three weeks on the calendar away from week one when they said that. Uh, so let's say they miss by a whole three more weeks so that it was twice as long as they thought the injury would be. That's missing three games. I don't think you start shopping draft picks for three games. So I got a lot more questions I want to get to. So stick around. We're going to keep doing this mailbag in just a bit. Moving on with this Vikings mailbag, the next one comes from Gabrielle Greco, who says, should I use Shapiro Wilk or Kolomogorov Smirnov as an indicator of variable nor normality? Uh, this is great. I imagine you're asking this because I'm the kid you copied off in math class, so I am obliged to give you an earnest answer here. So these are two different uh, tests that examine a data set and specifically the distribution of a data set, so like a bell curve or whatever, um, to compare how those data sets are 
are like next to a normal data set or next to kind of a zeroed out data data set what is the change based uh against a control group kind of that's what those those data things are are worth uh are used for so shapiro wilk uh basically just looks at the data set and and gives you a uh a, a number for how much variance there is against the control group and um kalamogorov smirnov uh, tests what is called the null hypothesis, which is basically uh, zero. Like, if everything else is zero, is this particular piece of data above zero or below zero, if everything else is normaled out? Um, and they're basically testing the same thing, which is how much data changes. I don't know. I Shapiro-Wilk, I guess. It seems like it, one's a little more comprehensive. And uh, I don't know. When I looked this up, most more I, I found more people that like Shapiro Wilk than the other one, so we'll go with that. James Ku now asked a couple, and they're both good, so I'm going to answer both of them. The first one is realistically, if you were to target one quarterback on another team's roster to be the QB two spot, would you who would you go after and how? Trade draft capital, a player, or wait for waivers? I think I'd wait for waivers um, because I think there's usually some veteran. I mean, think about like everybody kind of has a high hopes for their Kellen Mond, right? How many Kellen Monds were there in the draft? There was Kyle Trask and Davis Mills and, you know, Ian Book in, in New Orleans and all that stuff. One of those guys is going to be some, you know, somebody's going to be happy to have that guy be their backup. Um, and therefore they're going to waive their more expensive veteran. And then we can probably take a, a crack at that guy in free agency. So I would wait for waivers, just playing the odds. Um, but there's a lot of guys out there that I think are, are interesting. There's Nick Foles who might get cut from Chicago if they can figure out how to do that with the cap. Um, if you wanted to go for a trip or there's Trevor Simeon in new Orleans, if they do like Ian book, um, they would go, you know, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston Ian book as their room. And then I think Jameis would win the job. Right. And then, uh, they would probably cut Trevor Simeon. So that's a, you know, hashtag old friend, bring him back. Somebody else asked about like who an, an old friend you would bring back is yeah, Simeon. He's the guy. Um, so I, I think there's a good chance that somebody gets cut that's worth your while. If you wanted to trade, though, I love the idea of trading for like Gardner Minshew. A lot of people said C.J. Beathard. I don't like C.J. Beathard at all. Um, I think he's like pretty inaccurate. I don't know if he would meaningfully upgrade on Jake Browning, but I don't know if we actually traded for him. I'd look into that take and, and double check on it. Uh, and then the other one from James Kunau is based on what we've heard slash seen in practice and camp and what we've seen from the preseason. Is it believable that Kubiak's just putting out a generic offense to evaluate the quarterback's abilities to make routine plays? Or is this actually what we should expect the offense to be week one? So this is going to take a long time to answer because it requires nuance, but I think it's important because I've seen a lot of this, uh, especially on like Vikings. Reddit is like really into this idea right now that like the offense is only bad because it's preseason and you only do vanilla plays in the preseason. And that's true. That's always been true is that preseason, um, it usually affects defenses more than off offenses. Um, but basically, nobody wants to, to tip their hand in an exhibition game. So you kind of tend to get more vanilla uh, stuff in the preseason. And that's why you can have stuff like the, the Lions going 4-0 in the preseason and then never winning a regular season game um, because that kind of just turns all the results on their head. But like my answer to this question, I think just has to be it depends on the quarterback that we're talking about here. Um, like with Kellen Mond, I think it's pretty clear that Kellen Mond is just only familiar with kind of the core concepts and the timing based routes and, the, and, and he's not really familiar with some of the fancier stuff. So they're not going to run the fancier stuff. And to a degree, you're also using preseason to just drill your core stuff. And then you actually add the subversion to it in the regular season. But that subversion can be, hey, we're going to run the exact same play 
except you run a corner route instead. And that doesn't require nearly as much rehearsal as the core concept itself that might be really reliant on timing and, uh, you know, really reliant on, on certain checks and just making sure everybody's got the protections right and all that stuff and kind of the operational things that we tend to take for granted but take a lot of work to get to the point where we can take them for granted. Um, so, uh, yeah, you drill the core concepts a lot more in, in, in uh, preseason. But with Jake Browning, he should know a little bit more and he should be able to you know operate those checks and operate the offense on a on a higher level and i think the ineptitude we've seen from the offense under jake browning does it like imply concern about jake browning and i kind of think the same thing for kirk cousins as well from that colts game um and i talked about it after the colts game he played in a way and zimmers hammered him for this and jake browning and bond basically hey you can't check down you know five yards every single play you got to eventually try to get some explosive plays which is kind of what happened in that Colts game so I and I think we very often kind of mistake quarterback decisions for coaching decisions um you know Kirk Cousins had guys open downfield like the play was designed for somebody to get open downfield and they did and then Cousins didn't throw it that's not on the play caller that's on Cousins so I would imagine that what we've seen in in offseason and stuff um, I, I do think that Clint Kubiak is going to use a lot more motion at the snap than what we've seen. They've done a couple of jet sweeps and stuff, so they've like put a little one on tape just for people to kind of chew on. Um, but they're going to use a lot of kind of motion at the snap and orbit motion, and they did an end around, I think, in the, the preseason game against the Broncos. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more fancy stuff, and they drill it a ton in camp, a lot more in camp than what we've seen in the preseason. So I would guess that we see a little more of that in the regular season than what we've seen in the preseason, and they're just trying not to tip their hand with that. Um, but in terms of the actual conservative and kind of boring vanilla nature, I don't want to say vanilla because it's just it's just boring and it's short, um, not necessarily oversimplified. Um, but the kind of boring, short, a dot kind of dink and dunk nature of the offense, I think, is more a product of the quarterbacking than it is of the coaching. Observed IDC says, has Wyatt Davis played against just opposing twos and threes in preseason games? And if so, to what extent can we have a sense of how he do versus opposing ones? So he has just played against uh, twos and threes. So there is always the, hey, you know, is this going to keep up when he's up against tougher competition thing? I think the way that Wyatt Davis wins and loses implies that the level of competition is not going to, like, sink him. Um, but it's also not going to, like, fix his problems to be, like, next to starters either, right? Because when, you know, they have their ones out, you have your ones out, and that can also help you. Um, Wyatt Davis's problems have been like blown assignments and like not understanding the calls and stuff, which is rookie stuff. Same with Kellen Mond, same with sometimes, you know, Chaz Surratt and stuff. Just, there's a lot to get used to, right? So I think those problems would exist no matter who was lined up across from you. Like if you don't know the call, you don't know the call, right? Um, and when it comes to the way that he beats up on, you know, twos and threes, when he has a good play and he's, you know, taking a guy, you know, 10 yards down the field and stuff. If he's taking a third teamer 10 yards down the field, I think we can reasonably assume that a first teamer, while they probably wouldn't get pancaked 10 yards down the field, that that block would still probably be successful. So I feel pretty good about Wyatt Davis up against the ones. And I think, and I'm going to do a, a roster thing tomorrow where I'll talk more about this, but I think the real, uh, the, the question about Wyatt Davis now isn't necessarily, is he going to start? Because I think Ole Udo won that job. Um, but if Ole Udo goes down, do you put in Wyatt Davis or do you need to keep somebody like Dakota Dozier or Drew Samia around who knows the calls? Or can you trust Wyatt Davis to know the calls? Because not knowing the calls, as bad as Drew Samia was, right, I would much rather take ch my chances with how often Drew Samia will get beat than how often somebody like a rookie who 
who doesn't know the calls will get beat because it doesn't matter how good you are at football. If you don't know the calls, you're just going to let guys through completely unblocked. At least if you lose a block, you slow somebody down a little, you know? And I think that's going to be the question. And I'm pretty close to saying that Wyatt Davis will pass that test and therefore render somebody like Dozier or Samia moot. Um, I want to see it against Kansas City, but I, I'm, I'm close to that. Speaking of that Kansas City game, you can bet it if you want, if you want to be completely broken like me. Vikings are four-point underdogs, so if they lose by a field goal like they uh, did against Indianapolis, they would cover and you'd win your money. I'm just saying. BetOnline is your one-stop shop for all things football. If you want to be just a normal person and bet on regular season action, hey, that's coming around the corner. BetOnline is the best place for pro and college football action. You can get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the largest in the world $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest. All, both of those open now at BetOnline. Head to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, and you can receive your 100% welcome bonus and be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo make a bet on the thursday september 9th season opener between the champion buccaneers and the dallas cowboys and if you lose your wager will be refunded up to 25 dollars for new customers only when signing up and using promo code nfl 100 bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports from basketball football boxing right to your favorite vegas casino games don't wait Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, moving on to the last part of this mailbag. If I don't get to your question, I am very sorry. You can try to ask it again next week. Uh, I'm definitely not going to get to everybody, though. Uh, the next one, though, that I'm going to do comes from Landon Rentley, who says, is the Griffin signing a move in the Grand Zimmer scheme to get Kirk into frick mode for his MVP season? Uh, his will be done, let's hope. David Lyons Jr. says, Is it possible that our 53-man roster looks different than we expect to compensate for areas that have less vaccinated players? For instance, if our top two running backs aren't vaccinated, should we keep an extra to compensate in case close contact kept those two out? Um, I don't have a lot of great information on how the depth is or isn't vaccinated. Uh, but what I will say is if Ido Smith is vaccinated, he's got a pretty good shot at the roster um but yeah i think around the league those decisions will kind of be made i mean if you are a roster bubble player and you are you refuse to, to get vaccinated it's like having an injury problem right it's like having a freshly torn acl and maybe you don't know if that's going to hold up for the season there's a, a risk that needs to be factored in right so yeah of course that'll affect things nate stanley for starter uh, says, what is your ideal meal for watching the Vikings? I'm a fan of chili. Uh, chili's always great. I'm a big wings guy when it comes to watching during football. I love watching during wings. But honestly, for the most part, I'm usually too uh, nervous during Vikings games to eat. And also, I'm on the West Coast, and I'm not a big like uh, breakfast morning guy. I just don't eat a lot in the morning. Um, I just, you know, I don't really like to eat until I'm hungry, and that usually comes later in the day. Uh, and games like a noon game for Central is 10 a.m. So usually I just kind of drink a cup of coffee and enjoy it. Um, Skull Cole asks, even before the latest Derisaw injury news, you said you wouldn't be surprised if Rashad Hill started week one. How long can a player of Hill's caliber play left tackle before it becomes an issue? He's more than capable playing backup, but I worry about playing him playing a string of games. Um, he's going to play a string of games, guys. It's time to come to grips with it. And yeah, I think he'll probably be a problem. Um, I don't think it's I, I don't think Rashad Hill will be so bad that it is an emergency situation and they need to go, you know, trade a second rounder for a guy. Right. 
Um, I don't think he'll be that bad, but I think he'll just kind of, you know, be kind of a struggle and not the best. Um, and when you can get Darisol in and if Darisol will be better than that, then that's great when it comes. But um, I don't know. I mean, I could see him playing like half the season. Look, Darisol didn't get any training camp in. He has to learn everything. That's going to take a while, especially in the in-season cadence. It's a lot harder to get a guy like uh, Darisol, um like in the swing of things when you're also trying to like install game plan and prepare for an opposing team. And, you know, you're way more limited in how often these guys, you know, how many reps you can give guys and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think Hill is the starter. I'm going to say for the foreseeable future. Um, and when Darisau comes in then great, but it's not going to be a thing. We're just papering over for two weeks. This is going to be a situation for a while. Skull or whatever says, is it possible to have a nuanced view of Kirk or do I have to choose a side? And then says, oh, I hadn't listened to today's podcast yet, which was the uh, Tuesday episode. I'm going to imagine he meant, uh, which was the whole thing that was basically like a, I tried to have a very nuanced Kirk discussion. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess if you want to have a nuanced take on Kirk, you can absolutely criticize when he misses guys downfield, when he bails on pockets he doesn't need to bail on, when he throws, you know, interceptions and stuff like that. You can criticize all that stuff. And I do think it's important, though, that when he throws like a dime downfield on an over route, you know, when he's throwing guys open, when he's finding these connections with Thielen and Jefferson and turning these guys into all pros, um, I, like I do think you also have to credit Kirk Cousins for that. And I think both of those things are a really important part of his evaluation. And when you mix those things together and try to come up with stuff that explains both the good and the bad of Kirk Cousins, I think that's the thought process that has gotten me to the most like kind of insightful ideas that I've ever had about evaluating a guy like Kirk Cousins. So yeah, I, I don't think not only is it possible to have a nuanced view, but I think it's really important. Um, Nano Garces asks, with Griffin and the team, do you think that the tight front will be used as much as we thought, or will we play more common fronts with the 2DT and 2DE well-defined? Uh, so I think that Everson Griffin's going to come in on third downs a lot. That's the way that they were doing things in practice for the first couple days that he was there. Um, that he's going to do the like third down kind of interior rusher thing maybe or just be like a third down rusher where like really flush with run defenders but short on pass rushers. That's kind of been the whole problem with the defensive line since like free agency in March. Um, so I think in situations like third down where you don't need run defense at all, like on a third and eight, you know, um, then that's where Everson Griffin comes in. So I think he'll be a rotational guy. I don't know if that necessarily tweaks the way that they like call fronts. Because the way that they call fronts really is a much more important distinction on on downs that can be run or pass. Um, and, you know, like first and second down, like more neutral downs, that's where that's more important. And I don't know if Griffin will be on the field for a lot of those. Uh, Couch88 says, if you had to pick one guy from this Vikings roster to host a 96 questions segment, who would you pick? Um, I, I think 97 questions with Everson Griffin would be fantastic. Um, somebody with a good hosting kind of flair, uh, Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, I think it was Chad Graff just wrote a great article about Amir Smith-Marset following him around for a practice. Um, he is a very fun guy, it sounds like. It sounds like he's like just a really bubbly, energetic dude that would be a, a great host uh, for, for that kind of thing. I, Eric Kendricks would be fantastic because I think he knows enough of the players really well. Um, and he's also, I, I think he's got like a that good biting kind of sarcasm that would be pretty fun for a 96 questions kind of thing. I think that Robeson was like really good at that. I think Kendrick kind of has that too. Um, I don't know. There's a couple ideas there. Um, Adam Thielen also, I think would in kind of the same vein, he also has that kind of, you know, he'd be able to mess with you a little bit and have a little fun that way. 
Kyle asks, is Greg Joseph the guy week one? Not if I were in charge. <laughs> Jake Friend asks, where would you rank Kirk Cousins as an all-time Vikings quarterback? Uh, so there's not a lot of competition here, right? You got you like Sam Bradford, the one case Keenum year and stuff. I'd probably sort out guys like Keenum and like Jeff George who had like one year, like kind of whatever. It's one year guys. Like they're not really on the all-time world here, even if they had one efficient year. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, he goes behind Tarkenton. He goes, goes behind Culpepper for me. Um, I, I, I'd have to look at like the rest of the Vikings quarterbacks or something like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he were like third or fourth because there's not a lot else. And finally, Vikings disappointment enthusiast <laughs> asks if you were starting a new franchise and could only pick one of Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman or Kirk Cousins and give them a five year uncuttable contract, who would you choose um, Zimmer by a long shot? Uh, yeah, I, I, I really like Zimmer as a coach. I've, I've been a huge defender of his um, basically for since, I don't know, 2016 happened. Like, I, I think he has gotten dealt a pretty poor hand generally. Um, I think he definitely has made plenty of mistakes and we could definitely criticize him for those. Um, in particular, you know, he kind of he I don't think he adapted to Xavier Rhodes's decline quickly enough. I don't think uh, he adapted schematically correctly to the beatdown in 2017. Um, and it took him uh, a slow start to uh, the 2018 season. And then that season ended up being a half game out of the playoffs. So it kind of sucks that, you know, if he had adjusted a little quicker, maybe they would have made the playoffs that year and stuff like that. Um, Rick Spielman, I definitely like Rick Spielman as a GM. I think the acquisition of Kirk Cousins is kind of the tiebreaker here. And knowing that Zim didn't want Kirk Cousins and now we're kind of stuck with his albatross uh, and whether or not you like Kirk Cousins, you're stuck with him, you know, and that whole thing and everything kind of that I talked about earlier in the week. Um, I, I would pick Zimmer over Spielman. And I think just from a, a more like process oriented angle, um, Zimmer, of course, is extremely adaptive as a coach. I mean, how many times has the offense morphed and changed schemes since 2014? How many times has the defense morphed and changed schemes? And it's doing it again. The idea that, uh, that Zimmer is stubborn and doesn't change his scheme all the time is just flat out wrong. It's just not even true. Uh, he changes it. He's a chameleon. He changes it everything all the time, depending on the players and the meta of the NFL and all that stuff. And I think that's really valuable. I think he's a, a pretty good leader. Um, I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe that's called into question since he couldn't get any of the players to get vaccinated and that's kind of been a whole thing and he, he sort of failed in that regard. But uh, it, it seems like players really like playing for him and I think as evidenced by all the players who came back to play for him more, I'm a big fan of Mike Zimmer. I would absolutely give him a five-year uncuttable contract if I were starting a new franchise and uh, if that meant I had to lose Rick Spielman and Kirk Cousins, I wouldn't shed too many tears over it. But uh, tomorrow is going to be another 53-man roster thing. I did a 53-man roster article with uh, Nick Olson, another one at Zone Coverage, kind of updating things. Uh, I wrote it before the Colts game, and I actually have some updates I want to make to that. So I want to uh, do that. We'll go through the roster, and we'll kind of preview the Chiefs game that way. So I will see you all then. In the meantime, check out the Locked On Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Uh, they will get you all set up and get your grambles straight. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL and the show's on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. See you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.